Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'll be reading Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2. It says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land when, where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to seek your power and your glory. Good morning. Been a little rainy out there, but that's okay. I think we needed it. I know people out in the West are getting rain right now, and that's been a, a big blessing to them. So praise God for the rain, praise God for the sunshine, praise God for the snow. But as I've gotten older, most of all, God, thank you for fall. Uh, when I was a young boy, summer was my time. I loved to swim all the time, and I loved to fish, and loved to go out and, and ride four-wheelers. In the summertime was that time of freedom when you weren't in school, so it took me a long time to admit that I'd become a fall guy. And now that fall's coming, it's one of my favorite seasons, football season. It's upon us. I understand the Vols played some high school team and did very well. That's lovely. I also want to thank all of you that were here Wednesday night and heard the devotional. I appreciate that so much. I uh, was inundated with home remedies for poison ivy. And so this morning, I am slathered all, the, all of my body with jewelweed, oregano oil, Vicks Vapor Rub, and bleach. I don't know about that bleach one, but those are the home remedies that I received uh, tips on, and I appreciate that very much. It's, it's much, much better, not because of those remedies, because I didn't try any of them I was afraid to. I just uh, let it heal on its own. I also want to thank you for those of you who were able last night to go to the traditions and sing with the residents there. We had about 25 or so of us from the congregation and uh, about 20 or so residents, which was very, very good. And the residents all sang along with us. They had a remarkable time. I just know they were blessed by that. We talked to them for quite a while afterwards. We sang for so long that we kind of sang our voices out a little bit. Didn't realize it was Rooster's birthday. We'd have sung one more song. But we didn't because he kind of snuck out of there. I, I saw something after the singing that I've never seen before. It was raining, and Rooster wanted to get the car for Cheryl so she didn't have to walk in the rain. That was very nice. But that wasn't the amazing thing. He ran to the car. Well, it was like a curly shuffle, but it was more, it was pretty quick. He got over there pretty quick. So it was just remarkable to see that. So thank you for those who are able to come. And, and we'll do it again next month, the first Saturday of the month at 545. That seemed to be about the right time. The residents were coming out of dinner and came right over and joined us. Um, a new screen. It's kind of the elephant in the room, right? Uh, I remember some years ago that uh, John Gary had his uh, projector right here that looked like one of those spaceships from uh, a movie a long time ago that shot at people. And uh, I took it down one morning and put a projector there and used PowerPoint in the auditorium for the very first time. And it was rough because we had to put the projector here and kind of aim it up and the aspect ratio was off and it was kind of washed out. We tried many projectors over the years and it always just has been something lacking. But this system is perfect. What, what happened, guys? Uh, I just wanted Josh to know that as far as the screen go, I was first. So, brother, if you're watching this from Colorado, hey, I beat you to it. But welcome back when you come back, and we can't wait to see you again. It might bring the question then, why do we have a new screen? 
What, what was the uh, reason for the investment? Because, you know, there's an old saying that uh, there's one in every crowd, and perhaps there's one in this crowd that says, we didn't need that screen. And perhaps you're right, and perhaps not, but the elders decided to put this investment into the congregation. And I think it was, uh, from a technology perspective, that's, that's where I come from a lot of the times. I'll let you know that this, there's this thing called aspect ratio. And on, remember, the old computer screens were like tube TVs, and they were square, like what's represented on the screen right now. And when you would write a PowerPoint presentation or, or put anything on the screen, it would project the same way. And then computer screens changed a little bit and started looking like, started looking like, oh boy, started looking like that, right? It just took them a while to look like that, didn't it? So the, the screens kind of got wider, and they, and they were at the same height, but they kind of got wider. Now, of course, you have these monster screens on your, on your computer. And when you type things out now, they type out in this format. So when you would type something out in, the, in, in PowerPoint and try to project it on a projector, it would kind of squish it a little bit, and the fonts wouldn't look right all the time. And the QR codes were so washed out that you couldn't quite see them. So that was one of the reasons for the, the, the slide or the new uh, screen. Another re reason is just focus. The, uh, the other screen with a projector, everything just always seemed a little bit out of focus. And if that's giving you a headache to look at it, just close your eyes. But with the new screen, we will be able to see very, very clearly. So I thought about, uh, since this was the first Sunday of the new screen, perhaps we'd fashion a lesson on how the new screen, paralleling how it's going to better communicate with us, how we can use that to turn that into some Christian values in our life. And this thing might need new batteries because I'll tell you this, to the world, the cross of Christ is out of focus. People uh, fail to see the glory of Christ. They, they don't want to see the glory of Christ. They haven't been introduced to the glory of Christ. But to them, the, Christ is, the, the cross is out of focus. You know, I think about animals in the animal kingdom that have this great, great vision. These noble birds, especially. Powerful, noble birds that have, have beautiful vision like the pigeon. You don't really think of a pigeon as being a noble bird, right? I found out doing some research about pigeons and about the, the idea of focus you know how a pigeon walks, it shoots its head forward, and then it walks to catch up with it. And then it shoots its head forward, and then it walks to catch up with it. And it looks quite ridiculous when it walks that way. Chickens walk kind of the same way. They shoot their head forward and walk to catch up with it. I thought about trying to imitate that, but I didn't want to throw my back out. So just imagine in your mind the ridiculous nature which these birds walk, and you think, why is that? That's because when these birds are moving, they cannot focus. And so they shoot their head forward and get it still and focus on what's around them and then step into that world. And they shoot their head forward again and look at what's around them and then step. It's, it's a necessary uh, prevent, prevent, prevent them from being harmed by a predator or, or falling into some sort of hole or some sort of trap. And I think that humanity could learn a lot from the noble pigeon and the noble chicken. And that is sometimes we're too busy flying through life, moving as fast as we possibly can and we don't stop and focus on those things that are around us. So this morning, I want us to take a look at refocusing some things in our life. Refocusing, number one, on our passion. We're only going to have two points this morning because I had four, but Rooster's song, you know, kind of took a couple of the point times away. So we'll, no, they did not at all. It did not at all. Focus, directing your time and energy and resources in all of your life for a bigger and a higher impact. 
That's what focus is. It's really, really making a concerted effort to laser, laser concentrate on a certain goal or a certain objective and pouring everything you have into that. You think about a professional athlete and how they train relentlessly and constantly, and they're focused always on their goal. People in business that have treat, achieved great things and people that have been inventors and have and invented great, great inventions, they decided, I'm going to do this thing, and they put all their effort and all their time and all their money and all their energy into that thing, and they got it done. And a people that are focused are powerful people. The church that is focused will be a powerful, powerful church. It'll keep our eyes on the path when times are rough. Because when things get difficult, it's a little hard to maintain your focus. But if you are truly focused on what is most important, you can keep your eyes on that goal and step through the potholes, over the potholes, over the logs in the way, and you can make it to your goal. But at the same time, sometimes the roads and the paths and lives are very easy. We live in a very comfortable situation in this country. I mean, we complain about things like rain. We complain about things like sunshine. Oh, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too rainy. Oh, we are people with a path that is very easy. Not only relative to other people in the world, but to relative throughout history, we have an easy path. And sometimes when the path is hard, you lose focus. But I think maybe more often than not, when the path is easy, you lose focus in life. You lose what's most important because you become comfortable. You become complacent. Psalms chapter 63, verse 1 and 2 says, Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. So I have looked to you, look for you in the sanctuary to see your power and to see your glory. This verse just resonates with me when it talks about, I long for you like a thirsty person would long for water. I long for you as if I was lost in the desert and you were the drink and the drink of life. I seek after you early. You know, I, I, am, I am not a morning person. I, I will just freely admit that I would prefer to sleep. Well, I'd prefer to sleep 24 hours a day, but I can't do that. But I'd like to sleep in. And I'm not so sure this verse is talking about the hour of the day as much as it is your stage in life. Young people, listen to me. Seek God now. Develop a deep and lasting relationship with God the Father now, with Christ the Savior now, with the Holy Spirit now. Because as life gets more busy, things get in the way. Seek Him early. Seek him fervently and seek him with a passion. So let's look at some ways that we can refocus on our passion. Number one, we need to understand that loving God with all of our heart is the very essence of Christianity. Having a passionate, deep abiding love for God is the core value of Christianity. You can't serve a God with, with the right spirit and with the right love and, and the right passion unless you truly, truly, truly love him with all of your heart. And sometimes that's difficult. Why is it difficult? Because he is unseen. It's easy to love our children. It's easy to love our parents. It's easy to love our friends because they're seen. And, and because we can't actually tangibly see the physical God, sometimes that, that puts a barrier between us and truly loving him, but he can be seen in everything all around us. He can be seen in his glory. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall, love the God, you shall love God, the Lord your God, with all of your heart, 
with all of your soul and with all of your strength and mind. That's everything. Give God all of your love and give God all that you've got with a passion. Refocus this morning your passion on your love for God. It will serve you well. And don't wait, start early. And if you're in the auditorium this morning and you're saying, well, you know, I, I was not exposed to Christianity when I was young, then early for you is right now. Or perhaps you're in your later years in life and say, you know, I haven't taken God as seriously as I could have, then early for you is right now. Begin right now to love God with all that you have. Number two, if we love God as we should, we will be willing to serve him patiently and wait for his son from heaven. I have a confession to make. Patience is not a strength of mine. I have uh, historically been an impatient person, wish that I was uh, a more laid-back kind of guy. And, and as I've gotten older, I think that's happened somewhat. I had to stop playing sports because I was so impatient with my teammates and with the referees and with the officials and with the organizers and with everyone. I just said, you know what, I'm just going to have to stop because I can't control myself and I get so impatient. I drive to Green Hills every day. I'm not a patient person. That's difficult. It's difficult to maintain our patience. And have you ever found yourself just wishing, just wishing that the Lord would come back and come back right now? Maybe you're at a time in your life where you feel like my family right now is in a good place with a relationship with God. And my friends right now are in a good relationship with God. And the church where I go, we're, we're all good. We're all pulling in the same direction. Why don't you just come on back now, Jesus? Why don't you just come back? Well, let's just be patient, even when it's hard. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1 says, I have, I've waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined me, and he heard my cry. You know, oftentimes when I find myself thinking, I just wish he'd come on back. I've got to back up and realize it's God's time, not my time. And then I begin to look around and, I, and the, the things that in, entreat me to want Jesus to come back soon, I look around in society and I think, you know, maybe it would be good if he waited a little bit longer and gave us as a people in this congregation a chance to go out and bring a few more people in. We need to wait patiently on the return of our Lord. Uh, number three, we need to avoid becoming like the church in Ephesus because they forgot about their first love. I heard of a, uh, of a, a story where a congregation was uh, sort of divided over a topic. And, and there was a lot of discussions and a lot of fussing and that sort of thing about it. And so someone came late at night and they put, put some letters, those, those nailed letters up above the door and it said, Jesus first. And so that was meant to be an encouragement as people walked into the building and they saw that sign right before they came in and sat down amongst the crowd, some of which had some, some struggles with one another. They wanted to see that sign, Jesus first. Some noble soul put that out there. And a big windstorm came up right before the Sunday morning service and blew the first three letters down. And the sign read, us first. We should never have that attitude. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, talking to the church in Ephesus, for you has, have left your first love. The congregation in this place should put the love of God before all else. And if you truly love God, then you will do the things necessary to show that love and to spread that love. 
and to live that love. It is indeed our very first love. Next thing we need to do is decide who we're going to serve. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Putting a line in the sand and saying, This is what I'm going to do, and this is who I'm going to be, and I'm going to be this way for the rest of my life, is so important in loving God. My favorite verse in the Bible there, Joshua 24, 15, really draws that line. That choose this day who you will, as an individual, choose this day as a person, choose this day as a soul, who will you serve? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, should be your answer. As for me and over anyone that I have influence, we will serve the Lord, and we will love him, and we will serve because of that love, not out of an obligation, not out of compulsion, but out of love. Because we should love God enough to make the difficult choice. And then tomorrow, you've got to decide all over again. You've got to decide every day of your life, every temptation that comes along, you have to make the decision, I will not fall for the distractions of Satan. There we go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 says, Don't give a place for the devil. I think too often times we, uh, as a people, we, we are so weak and we're so frail and, and, and we, we don't, if we, if we were sitting back and telling our life as a story, we would never tell the story, we would never think that it would be, it'd be possible to fall for some of the temptations of Satan. We'd sit back and, and say, you know, this is how I want my story to go. I'd want to be the hero in the story. Well, love God so much that you're the hero in God's story. I think of Job and, and how uh, you know, Satan presented himself before God, and, and God said, have you considered my servant Job? And I often think if he would ever say, have you considered my servant Sean? Have you considered his life for me, his love for me, his willingness to serve me? Have you considered the congregation that meets at Laverne and their life for me and their love for me? And their service for me. Don't fall for the distractions of Satan. As a matter of fact, it says in James chapter 4, verse 7, if we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, that he'll flee from you. Understanding that the devil knows our weaknesses and wants so badly to trip us up is one of the reasons that we should fight him so hard. You know, we, we watch uh, stories, uh, read, read books and, and watch uh, movies and that sort of thing. And in the movies and in those books, there's oftentimes this clear line between the good side and the bad side. There's oftentimes a, a very clear villain and a very clear hero. Now, in, in recent times, those movies are kind of tricky at the end sometimes. But most of the time, you kind of know who the bad side is and you kind of know who the good side is. And everybody that I know of always roots for the good side. Well, in the world... There is a good side, and there is a bad side. And folks, we should be squarely on the good side and, let the, and, and not give the devil a place in our life at all. Second point, let's refocus on our purpose. What, what drives us, what causes us to get up in the morning, what causes us to live, what causes us to breathe and move, what causes us... What causes us to have a passion for Christ? 
Number one, we're to glorify God. That's our purpose. You were put on the earth to glorify God. You were born where you were born. You were born when you were born. You were born into the family you were born to glorify God. You were brought to this place this morning to glorify God. Everything that we do in our life is about glorifying the Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, beginning says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Why? For you are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, it's easy when you read this passage uh, and you've worked with youth for a long, long time to really focus on the idea of body. And I'm, I'm going to focus on it just for a minute. Moms and dads, help your children glorify God in the way that they present themselves in public. Help your children glorify God in the way that they speak in public. Help your children glorify God in the way that they conduct themselves in public. And here's the best way to do that. Present yourself and speak and act like a Christian in front of them all the time. Give God the glory in all things. Ecclesiastes says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Now, there was a gentleman at work that I, I was talking to one time about biblical matters. And, uh, and he, he was uh, really, his, his main argument was, I just don't know where I fit in, the, in this whole universe, this whole galaxy. There's, you look out there and the stars are, are just endless and the space is endless and time is endless. And it just seems like that I'm such a small, insignificant thing and I, I don't understand where I fit and where my place is and, and how, how I'm supposed to live and how I'm supposed to act. And there are so many things out there that are distracting me. And so we read this together. Let us, con let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. If, if we had that attitude and were able to seep it into our hearts and our minds and marinate in it and think about it and soak in it and live it, the world would be such a better place. This, this gentleman I'm speaking of, he moved not too long after our conversation, and we keep in contact. He's come so close. He's come so close to submitting himself to the gospel of Christ. He's come so close but he just can't quite get there because he doesn't have the right passion yet. Oh, but it's burning. The passion's beginning to burn. The best part of the verse says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. You know, that's a, a terrifying verse, right? It's a terrifying verse because have you ever thought about what it's going to be like to stand before God in judgment? I think about that all the time because he's going to have quite a book to read to me about me. And that is terrifying. But you know, there's also to the Christian that, that you look forward to standing before the Lord. Because whatever he reads in the book, it's been forgiven. He will bring all of our works into the light. The secret things that we do in private that we don't think anything anyone knows about. The private things that we think that we know no one can hear our thoughts. He hears and he sees and he knows, and he loves, and he forgives. We were made to glorify God, and we were also made to bring others into God's glory. There is no greater purpose on the earth 
than to give ourselves over to God. But to experience that joy and to understand that joy and to feel that joy and to, and to, and to feel the love of the brothers and sisters here. And there's no joy like bringing someone else into the fold. We all have neighbors. We all have friends. We all have family. We all have those with which we're acquainted and co-workers and, and fellow students. All around us, the fields are white for the harvest who need the glory of Jesus. And it says in John chapter 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples, my followers. We read that verse, and it's kind of a litmus test, is it not? It kind of puts our lives and, and, and the secret things and, and the public things in our lives kind of on display for a, a discerning heart. Christians produce Christians, so says the Bible. Christians produce other faithful followers of Jesus Christ so they can understand the salvation, enjoy the salvation that we have. Christians make Christians. And if you or if I are not spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and doing so with passion and doing so with fervor and doing so with a pure and loving heart, then are we really Christians at all? It goes back to the old saying that someone mentioned to me one time about if you knew that you had the cure for a dreaded disease and refused to share it, what kind of person would you be? And here we are as Christians, and we have the cure to the most dreaded disease that's ever existed, and that is sin, and that's separation, and that's loneliness, and that's an eternity lost. Oh, Christians should bring other Christians to God. That is our purpose. If you're here this morning and you have lost your focus, if your focus has drifted and you're not even sure what your focus is, but perhaps the, the, the idea of salvation has become fuzzy to you. Perhaps the idea of evangelism has come, become fuzzy to you. Perhaps the idea of Bible study has become fuzzy to you. Perhaps the idea of working in the congregation and doing those things that need to be done that meet the mission of Jesus Christ, perhaps those things have become fuzzy to you. And if that's the case, then perhaps you have lost your focus. Or perhaps you've lived in a world you're not yet a Christian. You've lived in a world and, and, and you're seeking and you're striving and you want something that's better than what you have now and you know there's something better than what you have right now. Perhaps it's just a challenge with focus. But there is an answer. God is and should be your focus. If you're this morning, you're not a Christian or if you are a Christian and you've wandered away, the congregation here would be delighted for you to come forward and make your needs known so that we can pray for you, pray with you, and so, if necessary, baptize you into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and then you will achieve a focus like you've never achieved and seen or felt before. If you're this morning, won't you come? We'll stand and sing to encourage you. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening and we hope you have a blessed day.